Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible together every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along, and if not, No problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Well, today, I must confess, we are closing out 1 Thessalonians, and I'm sad almost in a way. I love this book. I've enjoyed this book. I've learned from this book, and I've gotten so much insight from this book. Tomorrow, we'll be starting 2 Thessalonians, so what a great um, opportunity to continue reading uh, this this series uh, of letters from Paul to this church. After that, we'll go back to the Old Testament. But I tell you, I'm a little sad to end it out. I just love this book. But what I'm going to do today is we're going to finish First Thessalonians. We're in chapter 5. We'll be going from verse 12 to 28. But I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to try to just hit uh, since this is our last time in First Thessalonians, I'm going to try to recap it quickly, hit some highlights from different verses, just to put it all in context, to appreciate this beautiful letter and all it gives us. And then um, I will uh, go through the final verses, which is what McGee points out is like, the 22 commandments at the end. This is almost, uh, you've heard like the 10 commandments. Well, these are the 22 commandments in the New Testament, how he's telling them things that we need to do as Christians. But let's start just for a recap. Now, for a general recap, what's going on here? This is the Thessalonian church in Thessalonica. It's in northern Greece in the province of Macedonia. Paul goes there on his second mission trip. He goes to Philippi first and establishes the first church in Europe and then heads over to Thessalonica, which is a little bit west, southwest. He goes there. This church was a new church and he had been there less than a month. Um, he had only taught, I believe, three times, and um, the church was on fire. He was um, apparently uh, uh, made such an impact that the um, once you you know as anything else, once you make a big impact for the Lord, it causes 
a change in the community. And a lot of times that causes people to come to the Lord. And a lot of times that causes people to despise the Lord. Well, in this case, local community leaders either were upset or Jewish leaders were upset. Um, and he gets run out of town, maybe by the people or by the Romans. Who knows? But um, in any event, you got to remember that this church was under Roman occupation. Rome was in control, and uh, they had just put down the Christian, uh, quote, rebellion uh, in Israel where they executed uh, Jesus. They had executed a lot of uh Christians at the time who were resisting. They were putting them uh, in prison uh, throughout uh, Rome, the Roman Empire. Uh, but So Paul runs down to um, southern part of Greece in Corinth. Uh, that's most likely where this letter was written. And then, uh, so Timothy, Silas uh, are a little bit delayed from him because Paul has to get out quick. He comes down. To, to Corinth, and then they come later and tell him, you know what, the church is still doing strong back in Thessalonica. So Paul's writing this letter back to them to encourage them and back to them to give them uh, more instruction on Christianity. And if you had to write a letter, this is it. It's such a powerful letter. And what we have learned that this is one big letter about the gospel. This is the word of God. And he tells them that the word of God comes in power. It comes by the Holy Spirit and it comes with the conviction of truth. This is no ordinary message. This is no ordinary word. This is not like reading the newspaper or reading any other book. These words are powerful. And as Hebrews says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is living. It is active. Uh, as 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, it is the power of God. So this word it never returns a void. As Isaiah says in chapter 55, verse 11, this word um, is meant to do the purpose in the heart of the one who hears it because it is spoken by God. And this word never returns a void because it always accomplishes the purpose by which it was set out to do. So when someone hears this word, and it comes with the power of God. It comes with the Holy Spirit. And it comes with the conviction of truth. It does in that purpose, in that person, what God meant for it to do. When you're hearing the Word of God today, it is doing the purpose in you that God wants it to do in you because it comes with His power. It comes with His Holy Spirit. And it comes with the conviction of truth. This is the conviction of truth from Jesus Christ because He was the Word and the Word became flesh. This gospel message that comes to you, this Word is a gospel message of love. This love is not like man's love. This love is a, a gospel love, a love from the Father. And that's how we receive love. And so when this message comes to you, that's how it's supposed to that's how it's supposed to come to you. And we receive the word of God as the word of God 
in verse in chapter 2 verse 13 one of the things he says and we thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but what it really is the word of God and that's what we need to do this word of God is coming to us in power the holy spirit the conviction of truth it is spoken by God to, for us to do the will of what he wanted it to do and we need to receive the Word of God as the Word of God. So, so often today, we don't receive the Word of God as the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And then he talks, so he's talked about three big things. The power, the Holy Spirit, and the conviction of truth as the gospel message spreads. And then he talks about the effects of it. And first off, he talks about the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfast hope. This is back in chapter 1, verse 3. So what is faith? Faith comes from hearing the Word of God. That's what the Word of God produces in us. We have faith when we hear the Word of God. We are uh, sinful people. We don't generate faith in ourselves from ourselves. We don't we don't have that ability. And we don't we can't have faith in something we haven't seen or heard. That's a blind faith. But our true faith comes from hearing this word of God. And the labor of love, the once the this this love, this gospel gift of love comes to us when God's love we receive God's love. This love changes us. Due to our faith, this work of faith in us makes us change, changes us, and then we receive God's love, then we would we want to imitate that love and give love to others. So faith is a work in us to change us, to have us turn and repent from our sinful ways and begin to look upward begin to look to the Father, begin to look to the Lord Jesus to follow Him. So that work of faith is a work in us. That's what the Word of God does to us. It works in us. That Word of God works on us. It works through us. It works to change us so that we're not the same person. We are this Word of God produces a faith that calls us to be changed, to calls us to be different, to call that calls us to live not in the world, but live separate from the world because we need to be holy. That's what this work of faith calls us to do, to repent, to turn, to be changed. Then Inside us as we're changed, as we receive this word of God, this word of God is a gift of love. And then we receive God's love and we learn that we can we can love others, not as the world loves, but as God loves. So we need to we need to um, follow this example of faith in us but we need now to to imitate be imitators of god be ambassadors of christ we need to be holy as he is holy and so we um the fruit of the spirit the first fruit of the spirit is love 
Love, joy, and peace are fruits of the Spirit. But, but love is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. It is the most important thing that we get from this gospel message is the fulfillment of Old Testament law. And so the Old Testament is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. So Jesus Christ is love. Jesus Christ is the personification of God's love. Jesus Christ is the personification of God's word. Jesus Christ is the personification of God himself on earth. God is dwelling with man. So love is from God, is the gift of God. So this labor of love then becomes a labor of what we do. So everything we do, everything we think and say and do is our labor, is our effort, and that should be guided in love. Love never fails. Love conquers all. So we have faith, this work of faith in us. We have this labor of love. That's our display outward. It is as we serve one another, as, as Jesus Christ came to serve us, we should serve one another. So that is our outward. Everything we do and touch and say should be guided in love. And then the third thing, the third big theme is hope. This steadfast hope of what we have. What are we hoping for? We're hoping in Jesus Christ. We're hoping in Jesus Christ's return. That's the focus. That's the key. So now it gives us this ability to look upward and onward as we live our life. We look upward to the Father and we, and we walk onward in the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's how we give that's how we live life. So this work of faith is working in us, and that is our ability to keep reading the Word of God. If we stop reading the Word of God, our faith is going to diminish because our faith is based on knowledge of the Word of God. So this is telling us that we've got to keep the Word of God central in our lives. And then the love of God. The Word of God is the Word of God, the Bible that we have. Then the love of God, we have the love of God. That is the gift of Jesus Christ. That is this gospel message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him shall have eternal life. The love of God, that is how we serve one another, how we live outwardly, how we let this love touch everything that we do. Not with man's love, but with God's, God's love. So we have the faith of God, which is our work of faith. We have the love of God, which is our labor of love and what we do and how that love is displayed. And then we have the hope of God, the hope of the Holy Spirit. That steadfast, it is a steadfast hope. It is an eternal hope. It is a patience as we wait patiently in the Holy Spirit. So this is the powerful Word of God, the whole power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and the conviction of truth. So um, these are some of the uh, high points that we get. And once we, once we have 
God's power, God's Holy Spirit, God's conviction of truth. Once we have this gospel message, Paul says, we become examples to others. We become entrusted with this word of God. We become spiritual parents to others who are growing. We become more and more uh, worthy as we imitate, as we imitate um, God's love. And then we put this love into action in uh, chapter 3. We put this love into action as we keep our hearts centered on Christ. And we see all the different uh, manifestations of love in chapter 3. This marvelous uh, sort of exposition of of Paul's thinking. It's Paul's thinking of others. And love in action seeks the welfare of others. And this gospel message is how, is is, um, that sphere of good work. And this contrast between this gospel love versus uh, human love is so strong. It is selfless love. It is self-sacrificing love. It is a suffering love. It is a labor of love. Everything you think and say and do is to love others in Christ, to serve, to worry about them, to encourage them, to give them the gospel message, to allow them to grow, to, to allow, to teach them, to comfort them, to show them how to live. That your life itself is based on someone else's well-being. It is a prayerful love. It celebrates one another. This love is honest and sincere. This love points others to Christ. This love is a love of abundance. This love has no limits. This is a love for everyone, not just those selected. This love leads us to having Christ-centered hearts. It's the only way we can love. This love is holy. This love is blameless with Christ. This love seeks the welfare of others. And this love is based on holiness. And the end point of all love, all love and action, is Christ. Christ is not only the fulfillment of the Old Testament law because Christ is the manifestation of God's love, but all of God's love results in Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ. And then we get to this powerful uh, chapter 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So as we walk, as we love, the will of God is our sanctification. And the word sanctification comes from this uh, word, hey, haga. Asmos, hagiasmos, which means holiness. Does this word sanctification is used interchangeably with this with this word holiness? So sanctification is a purification of oneself. It's a state of purity, and this word holiness applies as being set apart for for God, um, set apart uh, people of the Messiah. 
new people of God, being a new person, being an inner special part of the temple. So sanctification, holiness, is the will of God. That is it. All, all of God's love centers and ends on Jesus Christ. It is our hope. This steadfast hope in Him, this steadfast hope in His love, Jesus Christ is the end point as He returns for us, that, uh, for those He's laid down His life for. But the will of God for us in all of this is our sanctification and our holiness. And we say to ourselves, we can't be holy. We don't even feel holy. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit inside us that makes us holy, that continues to work in us day by day as we walk in patience in the Holy Spirit, in this steadfast hope that we have in Jesus Christ, in His love, by the faith that we receive from His Word. That is what His will is. And He gives us this Holy Spirit to continue our sanctification. And then He talks about the coming of the Lord, the rapture in verse 4, in, in, verse, in chapter 4. Um, we talk about that we have this who... Um, we have this hope in Jesus Christ. And it's not like others who have no hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, this steadfast hope. And so when the Lord comes, He will take... He will come back and bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. And those who are left will hear this sound of His voice and the bodies of the dead will rise first. So He will reunite the body and the souls of those who have fallen asleep. And He compares death to like being asleep. And then those who are alive will be caught up with all to meet the Lord together in the clouds, in the air. This is what's referred to as the rapture. That word rapture comes from this phrase caught up in chapter 4, verse 17. Caught up, this word comes from the word, the Hebrew was translated into Latin, and that word was rapturo. That's where we sort of get this word rapture from. And then that rapturo word was translated into the Greek harpezio, and in the English, it was translated into caught up. That's where we get it. And this is um, this, is this um, explanation of when Jesus comes. He will take those who believe in Him to meet Him. He will, he will resurrect the dead, and those who are still alive will be caught up with Him. And then, after that, He talks about the, the day of the Lord that he, we have been reading all throughout the Old Testament, this day of the Lord when the Lord will come in this period of what's called the Great Tribulation where there will be just vengeance and the, the wrath of God will be on the world to uh, right all the wrongs. And so he, he, he 
um, this period of great tribulation, this period of repaying evil, he will not, his church will not have to go through all that. But this day of the Lord, this great tribulation will occur before this millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So he makes the point that it's not going to be a surprise to those who are in the light. But this day of the Lord will come first in darkness and then in light. In other words, that's how God made the world. Every new day in the world starts back even in Genesis. First there was evening, then there was light. So the, a new day starts in the darkness and then the light comes. So, um, But those who are in the Lord, it won't be a surprise because they'll already be with Him because He's already come and resurrected the dead and took in the, taken those who were alive with Him to be in Him. So he's telling him that day of the Lord's coming, but it will be a thief in the night like those who don't know him. And so then he tells them to be awake, to be alert, just like he did in Ephesians, to be alert and to keep the breastplate of faith and love, put on the breastplate of faith and love and this helmet of hope of salvation. So he goes back to his three themes here of faith and love and hope. These are so important. That's what that is the that is how the gospel message comes to us. It comes to us and produces our faith. It allows us to be uh, turned from ourselves to be changed. It's this love that we receive, this love of God, and to receive the word of God for what it is, the word of God, and this love um, is what we then use to protect us from everything. Love fulfills all. It is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. It is what we get from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the physical personification of God's love, and this helmet of hope, this hope that we have, this hope that protects us. And it's like this breastplate protects our heart. It's where our faith and our love, it's it's sort of this metaphor to the body, so this breastplate protects our heart where we have our faith and our love and this helmet of hope that protects our mind. That's what we think about in our salvation. So we need to keep our hearts and keep our mind centered on Christ, centered on His Holy Spirit, centered on His power, centered on this conviction of truth that comes through this gospel message. So then he comes down to these 22 commandments that we're closing out this book in And now I'll start uh, reading verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up. We need to be thinking about how to encourage and build one another up. We're not about tearing people down. We're about encouraging one another. Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So respect those who are over you in the church. Somebody's got to run the church, as McGee says. Respect them who uh, have things over you and give them that, uh, give them that ability to um, have uh, authority. You can't challenge everybody. And so uh, those who are there, uh, respect those who labor. And you can see who's pompous and who's working. And those who work, um, you can tell. Their actions will speak louder. 
and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. When you see somebody doing the work of the Lord Jesus, esteem them. Hold them in high regard. Be at peace among yourselves. We don't need to go out and, and be argumentative. We don't need to go out and and um, create all kinds of tension because love never fails. Love one another is so important. And all these are manifestations of love. Respecting those you love, esteeming those you love, encouraging those you love, be at peace shows how you love one another. And sometimes it's not easy to be at peace with somebody. But God calls us to be at peace with people. And even though somebody's pushing your buttons and somebody's aggravating you and somebody's not respecting you or esteeming you, you still, God calls us to be at peace. Well, maybe somebody's not respecting you. Human nature only wants to give these traits of love if we receive them from somebody else. Take just for a minute. If somebody doesn't encourage you, do you want to encourage them? If somebody doesn't respect you, doesn't that make you not want to respect them? If somebody doesn't hold you in very high regard, your natural tendency is not to hold them in high regard. If somebody's always antagonistic to you, isn't it your natural tendency to be antagonistic right back? Well, He's saying you've got to be at peace. Verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. If somebody's not working, if somebody's lazy, let them know they need to do their labor. Now, this is not going around and saying, you know, you don't have a job, get a job. These are people that are idle in the Spirit, idle in the church. These are final instructions to the Thessalonian church. This is not like society. Encourage the faint-hearted. That's what we're here to do. We're here to encourage one another. The faint-hearted could be those who are lacking in faith or just feeling down about things. As McGee says, when you know somebody has a cancer or something like that, or they're sick, or they need things, encourage them. That's a display of love. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. That's what people need more than anything. They need encouragement. They need help when they're feeling frail. And they need patience. If somebody doesn't help you, if somebody doesn't encourage you, if somebody's not patient with you, I'm telling you, that's the fastest way sometimes for somebody to be angry or an argument to start. And I think you have to be careful how you admonish somebody. You admonish them from the perspective of the gospel message. You're not admonishing them just from the human perspective. And I think that's important also. Now, you may have responsibilities in that regard, but Paul's given commandments regarding the spiritual side in the church. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and everyone. Isn't that, doesn't that just roll it all up into one little sentence? Like we were just saying, all of these things, 
You, by nature, don't want to give somebody unless they're giving them to you. But he's saying, you know, the Christian faith, the gospel message is instructing you to do good to one another always. And don't repay evil for evil. You know, you're trying to say, well, how do Christians live? This is how Christians live. These are all traits of Jesus Christ. You want to know how Jesus lived? This is how Jesus lived. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. You always need to rejoice. Why? Because you've been given this gift of life by Jesus Christ. You have every reason to be happy today, no matter what your circumstances are. Your joy cannot be determined by the events of the day or whether you get a good grade on your, your, your schoolwork or whether you make a lot of money or whether your car cranks. Now, it's easy to get upset, but your joy cannot be based on that. It has to be based on Jesus Christ. Everything is based on Jesus Christ. That's where your love comes from. That's where your joy comes from. That's where your peace. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. The Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit that you have inside you, let that produce fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. I believe that's Galatians chapter twenty, that chapter 5. I believe that's verse uh, 23 or 25, something like that. I think it's maybe 23. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Jesus always prayed. We need to always pray. And it could be prayer on your knees, prayer walking around, or the meditations of your heart in prayer. Giving thanks in all circumstances. Be happy and be thankful. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What did He say the will of God was for you earlier? What did He say? He said, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That was in chapter 4. When you're sanctified, when you become more holy by the Holy Spirit, the will of God for you is to become more sanctified, more Christ-like. All of this is the will of God for you. And always rejoice, always pray, and always give thanks. This is the will of God for you. And you're, you're becoming more and more sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And then what does he say? Do not quench the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit working inside you, do not quench it. Do not shut it down. Do not stop being thirsty. Do not put off the Spirit. And he says, do not despise the prophecies. The prophecies, the teaching of God, the Word of God. Don't despise it. You want to love it. Don't despise. Many people reject the Spirit and reject the Word of God. You can't, you can't despise these, the Word of God. Whatever you do, never quench the Spirit. Let the Spirit grow in you in abundance. Don't quench it. Never, never be filled. 
Never say, I'm not thirsty anymore, or I'm good enough. Never say, oh, I don't need it anymore. You need the Holy Spirit to grow inside you. That's the will of God for you is your sanctification. This is the will of God for you to have these traits grow in you as you become more and more holy. You become more and more Christ-like. These are all the traits of Christ. And they're the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. But test everything. Make sure you know what you're following. Because there's a lot of false teachers out there, and there's a lot of people who say, you know what, you don't need to do this. Or I'm good enough. You know, I don't need to go to church. Or, you know what, I feel pretty spiritual. Reading the Bible's old-fashioned. I don't really need it. Test everything. you got to keep your heart centered on Christ. you got to keep your mind centered on Christ. you got to protect your heart. Your love and your joy. You got to protect your your um, your faith and your love inside your heart with that breastplate of the righteousness. You've got a you've got a this breastplate of faith and hope, and you've got to keep that helmet of salvation on. You got to protect your heart and your mind. You got to keep it centered on Christ. You got to test everything. Don't let things sway you. And hold fast on what is good. Keep your heart centered on Christ. Abstain from every form of evil. If something doesn't look right, it's not right. If something looks sinful, it's sinful. And don't don't like fall into that trap. Oh, it's it's okay. Everybody else is doing it. Or it's okay. This is just our culture. No. If it doesn't look right, it's sin. Now... May the peace of God, him, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Here's this word again, sanctify you completely. And may your whole soul, spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. It's, isn't it interesting that the will of God is for your sanctification? And that's by the Holy Spirit working inside us to do all these things, to become all these traits of Christ. That's our sanctification. That's what the Holy Spirit is here for us to do. He gives us the Holy Spirit for our sanctification. He shows whatever you do, don't quench the Spirit. Because this is God's will, your sanctification. And then this this reference to the whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. And the only other time we kind of mentioned that was when Jesus Christ is coming back. He will be coming with those who've fallen asleep. And that's kind of a reference to the spirit, your spirit. And then when he, when he gives the command, the bodies of those who died will rise. So he's coming with those who've fallen asleep. And then when he, when he speaks, the bodies of those who've fallen asleep will rise. So it's kind of a reference to the fact that we have a sort of a spiritual dimension to us and a physical body dimension to us. And he's saying that your whole spirit and soul and body will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will be coming with the Spirit and then when he raises your body from the dead, 
both the spirit and the body will be blameless when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Everything in this book centers around the Lord Jesus. That's what our hope is. So we need to, everything in this centers around God's will for us is our sanctification, our becoming more and more holy by the Holy Spirit. Through God's Word, the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of truth. And as we are sanctified more and more by the Holy Spirit, we, we become more and more Christ-like. And these are the Christ-like traits. And as McGee calls them, the 22 commandments. These are the traits of Jesus Christ as we become more Christ-like. The Christ-like commandments. You want to say, well, where in the Bible am I supposed to live? Right here. This is our, this is, uh, and well, I can't do that. Well, the Holy Spirit is inside you to help you do that. That's our sanctification. And that when Jesus, and then it results in our hope is the coming of, the, of Jesus Christ and that he will be coming to reunite your spirit and your soul. That all of that, the dimensions of who you are, will be blameless. There won't be a single part of you that will have any blame because of your sanctification and holiness by the Holy Spirit. Through His Word of God, through His promise, through His love and the work of faith inside you and your hope for Him. And then He says, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And remember that word call? In chapter 4, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. That's His voice. That will be His voice calling. And He says, He who calls you is faithful. He will be the one to call you to rise from the dead. Jesus Christ Himself will descend from heaven. He's not sending an angel to do that work. He himself, he who calls you is faithful. That's Jesus Christ. That's what you put your hope in, your steadfast hope. And all of these chapters, chapter 4, chapter 5, answer what we're hoping for. This is the culmination of all love. In chapter, I believe it was in chapter 3, we were talking about everything, all of love results in Jesus Christ. Now we're seeing in, in chapter 4, 5, all hope results in Jesus Christ. Faith is Jesus Christ because faith is the Word. The Word becomes flesh. That's Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, all love results in Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, 5, all hope results in Jesus Christ. Then he says, brothers, pray for us. Another sort of commandment to pray. Greet brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to the brothers. Pray for everyone. Greet everyone in Christ and read this word to everyone in Christ. Keep reading the gospel message. Keep praying. Keep greeting one another. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You're not under law. You're under grace because of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, God's love. Wow! 
doesn't it just you just want to soak this in and read this over and over. And I I I I did the best I could to try to wrap it up in one um one segment here, but the, I just didn't do it justice. But that's the that is the best I could do to sort of wrap this one power book into one um uh podcast episode. So for me to all of you, God bless you. I'll see you next time. Keep your heart centered on Christ. Now I'll turn the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. I can't wait to hear your take on it. We'll hear Matali now and then tomorrow we will start Second Thessalonians. Take care and God bless. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 11 all the way to verse 28. And this is the last section of the book of 1 Thessalonians. And um, here Paul, in this particular section of study, is stating out that as a child of God, we to live at a much higher plane and so he gives out a series of commandments that we are to keep not only looking up to Christ but also here on earth where the rubber meets the road we ought to walk in the light of our Lord Jesus Christ and these are the things that Christ said if you love me keep my commandments so you know Dr. J.B. McGee pointed out you know we ought to live at a much higher plane than the Ten Commandments. So here Paul gave the Thessalonians a set of commandments that's in total are 22 that they were to live by. So we begin at verse 11 which reads, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. So here verse 11 there are two commandments given that we ought to encourage one another. Um, in Thessalonica Paul was urging them to encourage one another and to edify one another edify meaning you know build up one another so they were doing this in Thessalonica so you and I today you know we should be a team working together we should be giving out the word of God so only if we are a team if we're united we're united front as believers you know only then you know will we grow in faith and only then will we be living in the light of the Lord so verse 12 gives us the third commandment which reads um, and we urge you brethren to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you so here this is the third commandment that um, Paul gave you know to recognize those who labor among you you know to recognize the people with um, the spiritual gifts of preaching of teaching, of healing. So we, Paul was urging them to recognize these people. And in today's local situation, let us recognize those people in our churches, in our communities, in our small Christian communities. And the fourth commandment that was given here is in verse 13, which reads, And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. So here, that's the fourth commandment. The, the, the fourth and fifth commandment that was given that was to hold those people in high esteem um, I mean it was just you know it was um, a human thing 
that, you know, when, when Paul had gone to Thessalonica to establish um, the church, he started the church from scratch because um, Thessalonica was a Greek colony and it was a pagan and, and, and heathen state. And, um, you know, the people who turned to Christ turned to Christ at the same time. And, um, you know, amongst those people... They were, you know, amongst the saved people, even in Corinthians it's written, um, you know, we all have spiritual gifts. And, um, you know, Paul was encouraging them to use their spiritual gifts and among, you know, in order to build that body of believers. So there were some who had the gift of teaching, some have the gift of preaching and certain men, you know, you know, have those certain gifts. So not all of us can have the same gifts at the same time, you know, despite being saved at the same time, you know, we should um, you know, he was telling them, he was encouraging them to respect and to hold them in high esteem. You know, not obviously there was going to be human animals. It's going to be we saved at the same time. What makes you think you can actually preach to me? What makes you think you can actually teach me? Because we're all saved at the same time. But one thing we should recognize as Christians today, we all have different spiritual gifts. Not all of us can do, not all of us can have the same spiritual gift. And there's a reason why God does that because there are some who are gifted at teaching, some who are gifted at preaching. And Paul is encouraging them to respect and to look to them. So here in verse 13 it says, and to esteem them very highly in love for their works. That was the fourth commandment. And the fifth one, be at peace amongst yourselves. So as believers, let us not be ignorant of the word of God. Let us not just say, we believe, we believe, and not live by it. So um, let us not be ignorant and hypocritical. So, you know, um, the first to the fifth commandment ties up together um, the last, this particular commandment that Paul is talking about. And um, it says, uh, be at peace amongst yourselves. So it ties it up all together. You know, everybody can't have, can't be running the church. And if you, if we have one particular leader uh, um, who, who has shown those qualities of leadership um, in order for the sake of peace, and this ties it up all together, um, you know, look to that person. Because, you know, as the saying goes, too many cooks spoil the broth. Verse 14, we have the fifth, the sixth commandment, sorry, and says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. So here, uh, Paul is talking about, you know, you know, you have loners in church who just want to do their own thing because they believe all of you, whatever you're doing is, you know, not making sense and they have, they know it all. Um, they depend on their own um, understanding. And so Paul says here, warn those who, you know, who don't support God's work who just are out of step. The seventh commandment here um, in verse 14 says, comfort the faint-hearted. So here, comfort the faint-hearted and help them to get into step. You know, many people need encouragement, you know, pat on the shoulder, you know, helping hand um, to move towards, to move out for God as, you know, they are fearful and many people need help and encouragement. And the eighth commandment from verse 14, it says here, um, Uphold the weak and uh, be patient all the time. So here, support the weak. So the, the, the Eighth Commandments here says support the weak. So the weak, these are the weak in faith who easily falter. You know, let's help them out. You know, those people who are strong in faith and all. Let's always look out for our weak brothers and sisters and help them out. 
And then the last commandment here that Paul's given from verse 14 is be patient with all. So here, yes, let's pray for patience all the time. Be patient towards all men and not just towards your brethren, even to the unbelievers and, you know, just his annoying people. You just want to scream and pull your hair out. But, you know, let's, always, let's not lose our temper. Verse 15, we have the 10th commandment here, and it says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. So here we have the 10th commandment. You know, don't fight one another. This is what this basically means. Don't render evil to any man, but follow that which is good, both amongst ourselves and to all men. So you can't fight evil with evil. So, you know, the, Dr. J.V. Maggie pointed out those three philosophies in life that you know are like running in life you know there's the standard pagan philosophy and here is do evil in response to good this basically means you know um let me get the other fellow before he actually gets to me because you're thinking the way you're thinking is the way they're also thinking like okay let me take advantage of this particular opportunity let me strike while the iron is still hot you know take advantage of him because he might do the same to me and then there's the standard of um, the standard philosophy of the refined, educated man, the modern man today that we see. This is um, our everyday philosophy. This is do good to those who do good to you. So, you know, so for example, you know, you get politicians, you know, um, you know, there's this philosophy of you help me get elected, I'll give you a job. So take care of your own. You know, scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. That's the modern day philosophy today. And then there's a the Christian faith. It has its own philosophy. It's a totally different philosophy and says, do good to them that do evil to us. So this is the philosophy that Paul was actually talking about. And it says here, you know, um, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. So, you know, do good um, to those people who do evil to you, whom intend evil to you. And then... The 12th commandment is in verse 16 and says, Rejoice always. You know, in the book of Philippians, um, there's a verse that's written, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So, you know, as a child of God, we have no right to go about as sourpuss or bitter and with a long face because, you know, one of the fruits of the Spirit today is joy. So let us have that joy in us no matter what the situation. So let us rejoice always. The 13th commandment is coming from verse 17, which reads, Pray without ceasing. So here, this is a commandment, the attitude of prayer. Pray regularly. It doesn't mean, you know, be on your knees all the time, you know, as Dr. J.V. Maggie pointed out, all the time you're living on your knees. No, but let's have the attitude of regular prayer. Um, you know, have this particular attitude all the time as a child of God. Pray without ceasing. So... Verse 18, we have the 14th commandment, and it reads, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So here, give thanks in all circumstances. Let's learn to be abundant the base in everything that we do. You know, not once a year, like, oh, hey, let me give thanks to the Lord, because, I mean, the year has come to an end, and I'm still alive. Let's just give thanks all the time in everything that we do but you know in all the time you know let, let us always remember God and just give thanks for every waking day you know um you know the will of God for you and me the will of God for us is to rejoice always pray without ceasing and in everything give 
thanks. So this is the will of God for us. So the 15th commandment is coming at verse 19, which says, do not quench the spirit. So here, how do we quench the spirit? So one, um, you know, one of, it's one of the figures of speech that's used for the Holy Spirit is fire, right? And fire is quenched by dampening it down so that, um, um, and not let it burn. So to quench the spirit means that, you know, you refuse to do the will of God. Um, so this is, you know, by refusing to do the will of God is not listening to the Holy Spirit. It's, ref- you know, we refuse the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in our lives today. So we take matters in our own hands because we're depending on our own understanding, right? So um, the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit in this particular case, is a person because you can only quench a person and not a thing. So um, in Ephesians, it was also said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So you can only grieve a person, not a thing. So this means, you know, sin in light. So do not quench the Holy Spirit. This is a commandment that's actually been given to us as Christians today in our daily walk with Christ. The 16th commandment is coming from verse 20 and says, do not despise prophecies. So don't look down upon Bible studies. This is the only way we'll grow, you know, or something, you know, do not look down at, do not look down upon it like, you know, it's something beneath you and, you know, don't be indifferent about it. Don't be indifferent about the word of God. You know, so many people say, oh, hey, you're constantly going for Bible study, you know, instead of actually going out there and doing something for God. Only when we learn the word of God, we're not ignorant of the word of God, do we get busy doing what is right for God. And uh, verse 21, we have the 17th commandment. And here it reads, test all things, hold fast what is good. So here, basically, it's saying, prove all things. You know, don't be taken in. Don't be a sucker, as Dr. Gigi Magee put it. Today, um, you know, don't fall for anything. You know, there's a saying that goes, if you fall for anything, you stand for nothing. As Christians, investigate. Don't be gullible. You know, you have a lot of people today trying to take advantage of the word of God or the humble and the meek and the poor by saying, oh, hey, there's this program for the poor. Here are pictures of orphans and all. Don't be gullible. Investigate. Don't just fall for anything. Um, and um, here it's in verse 21, it says, hold fast what is good. So um, that's the 18th commandment. Hold fast that which is good. You know, hold on to God. Hold on to the word of God. Hold on because that is good. Verse 22, we have the 19th commandment, um, and it reads, abstain from every form of evil. So that's the 19th commandment. And basically here it says, question things. Um, is this right or is this wrong? So, you know, if you have any doubt in your mind about something, then it's wrong. It's wrong for you. You know, like the social pleasures of life and all. If you question, like, is this actually good for me? You know, listen to that conscious. It's the Holy Spirit telling you something. Then it is wrong. It's not good for you. Dropping down to verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24 reads, He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. So, um... 
you know, we should always reach a place of maturity, you know, in verse 23, we should always vie to reach that place of maturity and we should not always continue to remain babies. You know, we start, you know, baby steps in faith when we believe the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and personal Savior. We should learn to grow from there. We should not always just remain, oh no, I'm still young at faith. You know, we should grow in faith and this is what the Lord seeks for us. So he who calls you in faithfulness, um, who also will do it. Verse 25 is where we have the 20th commandment and it reads, Brethren, pray for us. So this is a commandment the Lord has given us. Let us pray for others every day. We bow down, we fall flat on our face to pray and worship. Let us always remember our brethren. Let us always pray for each other. Verse 26, we have the 21st commandment, which reads, Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And this is the commandment that has been made. And make sure the kiss is a holy one. And verse 27, we have the 22nd and last commandment that Paul actually gave to the Thessalonians. And it says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Oh, this one was uh, this one was a good one. You know, Dr. J.D. McGee joked about it and said, like, not only did he joke about it, but yeah. It says, this epistle should be read by the entire brethren. I'm reading the brethren. I got it through, through the Bible. So, Dr. J.D. McGee was following the commandments of, you know, Christian living that Paul gave out. And verse 28 reads, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So, you know, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you today. And I hope you enjoyed the book of Thessalonians as much as I did. I enjoyed it. It's a very enlightening book. I learned so much about sanctification, about the rapture of Jesus Christ, you know, the coming of Christ, you know, as um, as a hope um, for us Christians. It, was, it has been a dose, a huge dose of hope for me. And yeah, I learned so much. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. And I'm looking forward to Second Thessalonians. And yeah, hoping to see you there on the Bible bus again tomorrow with us. God bless and have a pleasant day. Bye-bye. Oh, you know, man, you know, man, you know.